This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. Six minutes past nine o'clock in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the sixth day of April, 2023. It's a cloudy day here in western North Carolina slash northern Georgia, but it is going to be uh, the sun's supposed to come out. There's a chance of a few showers later on this afternoon, but the important thing today is the Masters Tournament gets underway down in Augusta, Georgia, south of here. Supposed to be nice weather, uh, at least for today. The forecast for the weekend for the Masters, not looking great, unfortunately. Tiger Woods teeing it up for his 25th Masters. Uh Probably the biggest long shot he has ever been in his career at the Masters. I mean, if you remember last year, he miraculously made the cut, uh, you know, a year after that, less than a year after that car accident. Ended up finishing like 13 over, but the fact that he even made the cut was something. And supposedly he's, you know, he's hitting the ball as well as he ever has. The issue that he's got is the fatigue and the pain in the leg. And, you know, look, uh, Augusta is a very hilly golf course, and so uh, whether he can put it together for four rounds or not, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical. Most people are skeptical. The sports books are very skeptical. But it's Tiger Woods, so you never count him out. Uh, and, of course, the thing that everybody wants to talk about at the Masters this year is the guys from the Live Tour. Eighteen guys from the Live Tour are at the Masters. And it is the, I guess, the biggest showdown we have had between the PGA players and the guys from the Breakoff uh, Live Tour. And uh, I'm rooting for the guys from the PGA. I'm hoping the guys from Live all flame out. You know, I, I, I'm i sorry. I just, uh, that whole Live Tour thing, the way that they do it, the money that is coming from Saudi Arabia, um uh, with the human rights violations that go on in that country. And look, I get guys wanting to take the money. I don't blame them. And not only do they get to take the money, you know, the prize, the purses are ridiculous. These guys all got huge signing bonuses. Most of them that went over there. I don't blame them for that because if you, if you got a chance to take the money, you're going to take the money. And it's easy for me to say sitting here in Western North Carolina, that they shouldn't take blood money from a a country uh, who kills journalists and persecutes women and, you know, uh, the barbaric way they run that country. I lived in that country. I know that country. Um, and things have gotten worse, obviously, since I was there uh, 30 years ago. But it's, So it's easy for me to say sitting here to say that. But, you know, look, these guys have made a hell of a living on the PGA Tour. 
And, you know, they didn't like the fact that the PGA Tour said, hey, we want you to play this number of events, yada, yada, yada. Hey, look, you know, that's so they took the money and ran. And good for them. But then they, you know, the problem is, is that they want to have their cake and eat it, too. We're going to leave the PGA Tour, which means we're not going to be able to get any world ranking points. And, and uh, we're not going to get automatic entries into some of these tournaments. And, you know, wow, wow, wow. Well, you know what? You chose to take the money. You have to take the penalties that come along with your decision to take the money. And some of these guys that get automatic qualifiers into some tournaments, uh, the majors, for instance, because of world rankings, et cetera, et cetera, that's not going to happen anymore. And these guys on the Live Tour, unless you've won the Masters, you may not get another invitation because you're no longer going to be in the world rankings. So, again, you know, take that for what it's worth. But you wanted the money? You got it. But there's consequences. Just like when we tell our children, hey, you can do anything you want. But there's consequences for all our actions. And as long as you're prepared... To take the consequences, hey, have at it. You know, it's like uh, Greg Norman, who was the guy that was behind this live tour and has been a a royal jackass. He's whining because he didn't get an invitation to the Masters. Now, he's never won the Masters, so if he had, he would have gotten an automatic invitation to come to the Champions Dinner, et cetera, et cetera. But he always gets an invitation because he was a two-time winner of the British Open. And he's whining because they didn't give him an invitation this year. But here's the thing, you know, when you t- when you dig into it, you find out that, you know what, he's been invited every year, and he's only shown up twice in the last 10 years, right? And the chairman of the Masters said, hey, look, he's only shown up twice in the last 10 years. And, and one of those times, by the way, he was there doing radio commentary. And he said, but the primary reason we didn't invite him this year is that we want this week to be focused on the Masters on the players that are participating, not on Greg Norman, not on the live tour. And if he is there, that's a distraction. So I can't blame the guys at the Masters for not wanting them there either, right? I mean, how can you? So, uh, but that tees off this morning. Tiger Woods, I think his tee time is at uh, 1030, something like that. And, uh, uh, the TV coverage doesn't start until 3 o'clock on ESPN. His round will be just about over by then. But I think Rory McIlroy and some of the other big guys don't tee off till 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so you'll be able to see all their rounds this afternoon. Uh, so anyway, so looking forward to that. I always love love the Masters. Uh, and it's it, it, to me, the Masters, it's right after the NCAA tournament every year. And it also, to me, it's kind of like the, uh, even though we're still only in April, to me it feels like the start of summer once we see uh, the guys teeing it up down in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, one other non-sports thing I wanted to get to real quick before uh, we get uh, uh, to, to a couple other things. Uh, here in North Carolina, a state lawmaker has just defected from the Democratic Party to join the Republicans. Now, you know, you're going to say, well, who cares? It's the state legislature in in North Carolina. Who cares? But we've seen this happen in the Senate before. We've in the U.S. Senate, in the U.S. House of Representatives. It's happened. It's happened all the time. I don't think it. I don't understand it. You got elected by your, you know, by the people in your district 
or in the national by your state or your whatever, you've been elected because you were a Democrat. And then to go in to, to go into a session of the state legislature and then say, yeah, well, thanks for it. Now I'm now I'm bailing on you. I think that that should be an automatic resignation. You want to join the Republican Party? Knock yourself out, but you can't you can't hold this seat anymore and you give the people from your district a chance to get somebody else in there. Now, what it does is it gives the uh, uh, the the Republican Party veto-proof control in the Carolina House of Representatives. You know, at the end of the day, does it really matter? They pretty much had enough to override any veto anyway, which they did this year. They overrode a veto of a governor of North Carolina for the first time since 2018 when they when they overrode his veto, by the way, of the state's pistol permit purchase. Uh, you had to go not just the federal uh, g- gun laws, but you had to go through your local county sheriff uh, who would do a background check as well, you know, because they would uh, theoretically they would know you better than the people in the state or at the federal level. And uh, but that has now been done away with. Governor vetoed it, but they overrode it. So. You know, and and this woman that that changed parties, um, her name is Trisha Cottom, and she's at you know comes from the Charlotte area, Mecklenburg, and she said, well, she's still going to continue to vote her her conscience, and you know she's not you know necessarily going to vote with the Republican Party, baloney. At the end of the day, you were elected as a Democrat by the people in your district because probably, and many of them voted for you because you were a Democrat. So to then uh, do a bait and switch, I think it should be I think it should be against the rules. You know, and she should have to leave. She can't run for re-election in 2024 anyway because there's term limits in North Carolina. But at the end of the day, I don't care. It's just wrong, just wrong. Um, speaking of just wrong, <laughs> he says, segueing into sports. Um, we talked about that flap over the women's basketball tournament with uh, Caitlin Clark and and uh, Angel Reese from LSU. Angel Reese kind of uh, showing her up a little bit with the you can't see me gesture and pointing at her ring finger and all that. I, I will say this, and I went I, I went hard at Angel Reese, and I, and I said that it shows a lack of class. And I stand by that. It does show a lack of class. Now, having said that, Caitlin Clark came out on Tuesday and said she had absolutely no problem with it. She said, look, you know, trash talking happens. It's, it's, we all expect that, you know, and I didn't take it personally, you know, it's just what happens. So she was cool with it, you know, and that's fine. You know what? Good for you. I still think it shows a lack of class. Um, but Angel Reese has really poured gasoline on the fire and she's become this, uh, she's getting way more attention than she should be getting. As you probably know, at the uh, every uh, champion of any sports league, whether it's the NCAA or basketball or football or whether it's the NFL or you know the NBA, whatever, those teams all get invited to the White House to meet the president. Well, after the women's basketball championship game, Jill Biden was at the game, and then at a uh, uh, an appearance in Denver. Uh, after the, the day after the event, she praised Iowa sportsmanship, congratulated both teams, and then she said 
that she felt that Iowa should get a, a an invitation to the White House as well because, quote-unquote, because they played uh, such a good game. Well, Angel Reese went off. And Angel Reese turned it into a racial thing. And look, to me, what Jill Biden did was not racist. It, you know, I mean, come on. Uh, I'll tell you what, you know, especially, you know, considering that, you know, the Democratic Party uh, is is the if you want to pick a party, that's the racist party. The Democratic Party ain't the one, folks. But she goes up. And then so what does she say? She said, we're going to skip it or at least I'm going to skip it and we'll go. To see the Obamas. We'll see Michelle. We'll see Barack. They can have that spot. I mean, what? A, what? Come on. I mean, I think, you know, look, I think Jill Biden, I understand what she was doing. You know, that's one of those things I'm sure where her spokesman said, hey, Jill, we don't we don't do that. You know, we, we've never done that. Shh. You know, but the cat's out of the bag. But Angel Reese has to take it to the nth degree. And, you know, now Kim Mulkey, the coach of uh, LSU, said she'd go to the White House if they were invited. After you know, and and now Reese said yesterday she's uncertain whether she's going to go. You know what? Don't go, because you want to act like an ass and you want to stay stupid. Things like that. Fine, say them. But if they get invited to the White House, don't go. You want to be a jerk? You want to stand by your principles? Go ahead. Don't go. Matter of fact, Kim Mulkey should say to her, hey, Angel, just stay home. And then more on the – and look, I know I'm 60, almost 63 years old. I get that. I know I'm an old man. I get that. I'm a get-off-your-lawn guy. I get it. Sportsmanship, it means something to me. It doesn't as much anymore to anybody because everybody's showing up everybody else. You go on Twitter and it's a street fight and, you know, everybody, nobody can be civil anymore about anything, right? I mean, there's civility is out the window. You got a million people like me <laughs> talking, you know, talking heads and, and everybody's got an opinion. But I believe in sportsmanship. I believe if you get your ass kicked, you're gracious in defeat. I believe if you kick someone's ass, you are gracious in victory. It doesn't mean that you can't celebrate with your team. But what you don't do is show up the other team. Well, this now became uh, back into the forefront. We, we had Angel Reese on the one hand, and then this week on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday... We have a little bit of a showdown between Alex Verdugo, the right fielder for the Boston Red Sox, and Alex Manoa, who is a young pitcher, a very brash, uh, cocky young pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, Alex Verdugo went on a podcast, and uh, it's called the Baseball Isn't Boring Podcast, and they were talking about the right way to play the game, the right way to celebrate, etc. And Alex Verdugo said the following. He said, 
if it's a genuine reaction, the the cheering and stuff like that, and it's not directed towards somebody, then yeah, it's fine. And but then he goes and he calls and and he calls out Alec Manoa. He says, "I'll say it right now. I think Alec Manoa goes about it the wrong way, one hundred percent." You can find videos of him in AAA making gestures to hitters last year. Uh, you know, striking out back-to-back guys on the Red Sox, Frenchie Cordero and Bobby Dahlbeck, and yelling at them to go sit down. He said, and looking right at them when you do it, he said, that's the stuff that pisses me off. It's not the way it should be played. He said, you should be playing like you're celebrating with your team, not disrespecting another player who is, at the end of the day, just trying to compete the same way you are. That's it. And... Alex Verdugo is 100% correct. And I have watched Alec Manoa. Look, that kid is really good. He pitched his ass off yesterday. He's really good. And I'm all about, you know, you strike a guy out in a big spot and you want to yell and scream and say, yeah, you know, and, and that's fine. But what you don't do is you don't point at the guy and say, go sit your ass down. You don't do that. You're showing the other guy up. And it's very easy, by the way, for a pitcher to do that these days. Why? Because they don't have to bat. They don't have to get into the batter's box and worry about, hey, maybe the pitcher from the other team is going to take exception to the way I showed up his teammate and put one in my, my ribs. Right? Alex Verdugo 100% correct. And you can say what you want about Alex Verdugo. And Alex Verdugo, you know, can be a little cocky himself. But I've never seen him try to show up another guy. All right? That's number one. Well, then, yesterday, Alec Manoa fires back. Somebody brought it up to him um, from the media in Toronto and he says, and, and he said the following, coming from him, I don't give a bleep. My job is to pitch and get guys out. And he left it at that. Alec Manoa is 100% correct in it, that his job is to pitch and get guys out. But his job is not to be an a-hole. Now, one of my favorite people, uh, one of my favorite pitchers of all time, one of my favorite commentators of all time, Dennis Eckersley on the Boston Red Sox, since retired, has made has has. There were times, and you could see it. He would strike a guy out, and then he would point at the guy after he struck him out, and he's been very uh, upfront about that. That yeah, he's done that in the past, but what he didn't do is he didn't he maybe point at him, but he wasn't yelling at him and you know saying things you know and swearing at him. After you, after he struck him out, but civility in this country is long gone. Sportsmanship in this country, you see it. Something look, you see the great videos on on Facebook or on Twitter of you know something that some a team will do. I saw a, a, a one the other day, or it was a couple of months ago actually. I guess it was uh, two teams playing softball. And the girl hits a home run to win the game for her team. The problem is, when she hit the home run, she pulled her hamstring and couldn't 
walk. She couldn't get around the bases. And if she doesn't get around the bases and touch home plate, they're going to lose the game. Well, what happens? The girls from the softball team who are going to lose on that that home run pick the girl up that hit it and carry her around the bases and put her down so she can touch each base, and then they bring her around and she touches home plate. I mean, that's sportsmanship. I mean, I, I understand that that is an extreme example on the other side, but we don't see that anymore. How many times have we seen, uh, you know, we'll see games where, you know, it used to be in basketball, you know, you, you go and you shake hands. And we've seen games now where teams don't shake hands. They go to the locker room. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's no call for that. So Angel Reese, her comments about, you know, the the White House and, and, and turning the, the Jill Biden comment into a uh, – uh, a racial thing and saying, well, well, I'll go see the the Obamas. I mean, come on. Uncalled for. Uncalled for. What Alec Manoa does, uncalled for. And the fact that Alex Verdugo called him out on it, good for him. I mean, he didn't necessarily need to do that. What he could have he could have left it generic about, hey, this is what some guys do. You know, it just fuels the fire the next time Toronto and Boston play each other, which won't be until next month. But that ought to be fun when the two of those face each other. Uh, but, yeah, I just – civility. Can we just find a little bit again? You know, I can be the biggest – I can be, you know, as big an a-hole as the next guy. But whenever I was involved in sports, I liked, I'd like to think I played with class. You know, have I done some things and said some things in the past that I am not proud of? Yes. I can – I'll – I'll be real honest about that. I mean, there was a time I wasn't playing sports anymore, but I was working for a university, and there was a team that we were playing that was running up the score on us because we weren't very good, and they were just doing things that to, almost to embarrass us, just saying, hey, we can do whatever we want. I went off. I went off. I'm in the press box and yelling and screaming, and I'm just I, – and I – look – you know, it was a heat of the moment thing, and I I apologized to everybody on the planet after that, and I felt awful. But we see that kind of thing all the time now, and and it, it's a shame. It's just kind of a it's a commentary on where this our society is today. Okay, now let's get to real stuff. And and uh, uh, home openers were supposed to happen today. Uh, there's bad weather on the East Coast. Uh, So the Mets, Phillies, and Orioles have all postponed their home openers that were scheduled today. Um, The Mets will play host to the Marlins, the Phillies, and the Reds, and the Orioles and the Yankees. Those games will all take place on Friday now. Uh, they'll be uh, the Mets game will be rescheduled for one ten on Friday, and uh, the Orioles will play at three o five as will. Uh, the Reds and the Phillies. So uh, uh, a few games have been rained out for today. The Atlanta Braves, uh, our local team down here, uh, will have their season opener, their home opener, I should say, uh, tonight um, in their beautiful ballpark down in Atlanta. Um, They will take on the uh, San Diego Padres in their home opener tonight, and the weather is supposed to be okay. There's a chance of a few showers uh, but we should be good to go, and it's a big deal. Don, I mean, all the TV stations are there, and you know, I mean, it's uh, uh, and the Braves are off to a hot start. They, matter of fact, they uh, they 
finished off a sweep of the St. Louis Cardinals yesterday. Matt Olson with a home run, drove in three. Um, so they've won five of their first six games, and uh, they are looking like uh, they are going to be serious challengers to the New York Mets. The Mets, <laughs> Mets, just an absolute mess right now. Uh, speaking of messes, the Red Sox are a mess. The Mets are a mess. I guess if you're the Red Sox, you're thinking, well, at least we didn't spend as much as the Mets to have the record this bad. <laughs> we'll talk about all that when we come back. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Thursday morning. And uh, look, I, I, I am hoping, I'd like to think, that this is the low point for the Boston Red Sox in the 2023 season, and which is kind of silly when you think about it, considering that we are, what, uh, six games into the season with 156 to go. But the Boston Red Sox got swept at home by the Pittsburgh Pirates, a team with the second or third lowest payroll in Major League Baseball. A team that can't get out of its own way, by and large. A team that will be in last place in its division by a mile when this season is over. They have a couple of decent players. I mean, Brian Reynolds, their out, the young outfielder, is unbelievable. Um, you know, they've got a couple of guys. O'Neill Cruz, the young shortstop. You know, they've got some talent. Um, but what they don't have, by and large, is a lot of great pitching. Although you wouldn't know that from yesterday because Mitch Keller yesterday for the Pirates goes seven innings, gives up just four hits and a run, threw 107 pitches, struck out seven guys. Red Sox had no idea how to handle this guy. This is Mitch Keller, ladies and gentlemen. This is not, you know, (laughs) this is not, uh, you know, Cy Young. This is the Mitch Keller who in last season – Gave up more hits than innings pitched. You know, uh, had an ERA of four. You know, this is a guy, but yesterday they made him look like a Cy Young Award winner. And it's not even just that. You know, here's the thing. They wasted a good start by Corey Kluber, who got embarrassed in the opening game of the season this year. He comes out yesterday and gives up just three hits and a run. The only run he gave up uh, was a home run to Carlos Santana in the fourth inning. That's it. Other than that, dude was great. He only threw 67 pitches, and Terry Francona pulls him out. And this is where the, you know, the Terry Francona, did I say Terry Francona? (laughs) This is, uh, Alex Cora pulled him out. This is where Alex Cora drives me crazy. And it's, it's probably just not Cora. It's the fact that the analytics department is saying, don't let him do this, don't let him do this, don't let him do that. You know, that's what they do with all their pitchers. So it's like, you know, I can't tell you the number of times last year Red Sox pitchers, you'd get a good outing, they'd pull him out, and then the bullpen would implode. He pitched great yesterday. He deserved better. He deserved a chance to, to continue on in the game. Jesus, Mitch Keller threw 107 pitches the second game of the season. He threw 40 more than Kluber. They had thrown the same amount of pitches through five innings, but Keller stays on for two more. And the Red Sox bullpen has been used to death. 
six games in, and you know we're running three, four, five relievers out there every game. He used four of them yesterday, and then he goes to the bullpen, and the next two guys that bring he brings in John Schreiber and Caleb Ort. Pitch two innings combined, you give up five hits and three runs. Game over because we can't hit Mitch Keller. But it wasn't just that. The stuff that drives me crazy is that it's a close game and the Red Sox make mental mistakes. You know, there's a guy on second base and nobody out. There's a ball hit at the first baseman, Tristan Casas. That's a situation where you got to get an out. You got to go to first base. You got to get the out. What does he do? He tries to throw across the diamond, get the guy running from second to third. Doesn't get him. So now we have runners on first and third and nobody out. Right? So the next guy up hits a fly ball to the outfield. Sacrifice fly. You got no chance to. So the run scores. Now, you can say, well, Jeannie would have scored anyway if he had gotten the out of first. That is true. But here's the thing. Yoshida makes the catch out in left field, throws it back in to the cutoff man, who's supposed to be Rafi Devers. He throws it wide. Devers doesn't catch the cutoff throw. It gets away. The runner on first base ends up all the way over at third. You know, and so here we go again. You know, it's like two mental errors in two batters, and all of a sudden the Pirates have two runs. This game's over because the Red Sox can't get out of their own way. And because the Red Sox bullpen is being used to death. Now, the Red Sox did have some hope. It looked like at one point in the eighth inning, it looked like uh, – the catcher, Reese McGuire, had uh, hit a three-run home run to tie this game up. Umpires called it a home run at first. Then they changed their mind and said, no, it's a foul ball. And when you looked at it on, in the naked eye, it looked like it was foul down the right field line. It looked like it had gone to the right of the pesky pole down the right field line. And you could tell, too, that the crowd wasn't going bananas. The, the crowd in right field knows. And the people that caught the ball, nobody was going nuts. They just figured it was a foul ball. And... They eventually got the call right. It was foul, and that was the end of that. Hope for the Red Sox, and they go quietly in the ninth, and the game is over. And here we are at 2-4 and four. after taking the opening series from the Baltimore Orioles. Losing three to the Pittsburgh Pirates is about as low as you can go. I mean, the only thing worse would be losing a three-game series to the Cincinnati Reds or the Oakland Athletics, the other two teams with the crappy payrolls. That, I mean, that's that's where we're at, folks. Six games in. Good news is uh, Brian Bayo made his uh, uh, fourth game appearance, his fourth appearance in his buildup towards getting to the season. Through five innings yesterday, uh, seventy-two pitches. He's going to get one more rehab start next week, and he will be in the rotation by the middle of the month. Uh, Garrett Whitlock starting for Double A Portland today. It's going to be his final tune-up. He will likely pitch in Tampa on Tuesday. Uh, James Paxton. Through three innings on Tuesday, he's going to make a rehab start Sunday for AAA Buffalo, and uh, weather permitting. If that happens, he'll probably make one more start after that, and then he'll be back, which means we can get Ryan Brazier and Caleb Ort off the damn team. Get them somewhere. Shoot them to the moon. 
Caleb Ort, who gave up like nine home runs in spring training, had an ERA of like 12. They put him on the team anyway. Oh, what's he done since he came up? Oh, not much. He's got an ERA of 7.2. Every time they bring him in, he gives up runs. Get him out. Ryan Brazier stinks. Couldn't believe they re-signed the guy. So when that when Bayo and Whitlock are there, that likely shoves Tanner Houck or Nick Pavetta into the bullpen. I think Tanner Houck is better suited for the bullpen myself. Pavetta's been a starter his whole life. Leave him up there. You know, now when Paxton comes, if he's healthy and he's able to pitch, Red Sox are gonna have some some they're going to have some juggling to do because now you're going to have Hauk out there. You, you, they're going to Pavetta's coming out of the rotation if Paxton, Whitlock, and Bayo are healthy because then you'll have those three guys plus Corey Kluber plus Chris Sale. Um, but with the health issues with those starting pitchers, it's not like you're going to go out and trade one of those excess starters and say, "Oh, we don't need them." So they're going to have some tough decisions coming up. Uh, the Red Sox open a series at Detroit today, this afternoon, 1 o'clock. Chris Sale is going to get the start for the Red Sox, and Red Sox fans are hoping it's better than the three innings and seven runs that he gave up uh, in his first game this season. There's nowhere to go but up. Uh, the Yankees, in the meantime, well, the Yankees win again. Garrett Cole does Garrett Cole things. He throws six and a third, gives up three hits and a run, struck out eight and the Yankees beat the Philadelphia Phillies by a final of 4-2. to two. He outdueled Aaron Nola, who went six, gave up three runs for the Phillies. The Phillies are 1-5. and five. The defending National League champs are 1-5 and five for the first time since 2007. Yikes. Uh, Glaber Torres had three hits in this game. A couple of runs batted in. He also stole two bases. I think he probably sold some popcorn in between innings. To start the season, this guy's hitting 421. He's got six runs batted in and five steals. And the Yankees are 4-2. and two. They took two out of three from both San Francisco and Philadelphia. And Garrett Cole has thrown uh, a 12 and a third innings this year. He's struck out 19 in those 12 and a third. Hasn't given up. Uh, he's given up one run. And he has not allowed a home run. He led the American League in home runs allowed last year with 33. He has not given up one in his first two starts. The only thing stopping the Yankees from being in first place is the start that the Tampa Bay Rays have gotten off to. The Rays are now 6-0. and oh. It is the best start in franchise history. They beat the Washington Nationals 7-2 to two yesterday. So not only have they won all six games, they have won all of them by four or more runs. That's the first time. It's, this is unbelievable. This is the first time since the St. Louis Maroons did it in 1884. Uh, it's also the best start for any team uh, since Baltimore opened 7-0 and in 2016. But the fact that they are the first team to win the first games like that by four or more runs since 1884 that's ridiculous. Shane McClanahan uh, got the win yesterday for Tampa. Uh, McClanahan now 2-0, and goes six innings, just gives up uh, a couple of runs, strikes out six. Did walk four, didn't have his best stuff, uh, but the bullpen uh, does a great job, and uh, Tampa continues to roll, and the Washington Nationals showing that they are going to be as bad as they were last year. Um, 
I mentioned the Tampa Bay, uh, excuse me, the uh, Toronto Blue Jays earlier. Alec Manoa was great yesterday. He allowed just one hit over seven innings. The only hit he gave up, former Red Sox Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, had a single with one out in the fifth inning. That's it off of Manoa. Uh, Zach Greinke pitched great. Threw six innings, allowed just one run uh, on seven hits, struck out three. Uh, but the uh, offense could do nothing uh, against Tampa Bay. So Tampa will uh, play the Royals again today. Uh, Jordan Lyles will get the start for the Royals. Kevin Gaussman uh, will try to complete the sweep. Gaussman uh, didn't give up an earned run in his first uh, outing, but ended up losing the game. Uh, the Orioles lose yesterday to the Texas Rangers 5-2. to two. Jacob DeGrom, who came over from the New York Mets as a free agent, picked up his first victory as a member of the Texas Rangers, goes six innings, gives up just two hits, a couple of runs. He struck out 11 uh, through 92 pitches. And uh, LeClerc gets the save, goes a perfect uh, ninth to pick up the save in that one. And uh, the Texas Rangers, five runs on nine hits. And uh, the young kid, Josh Jung, a two-run home run in the seventh inning. It is his uh, second home run of the season uh, and uh, the Texas Rangers look like they are. I, they were, by the way, uh, they were my surprise pick to make the playoffs this year. I have them. Uh, I have them making the playoffs. I, I'm probably smoking dope. <laughs> now, actually, not only do I have them making the playoffs, I have them winning the division. I'm probably wrong, but I just think. The additions that they have made on offense the last couple of years with Marcus Semien and Corey Seager, uh, they're going to make a difference, especially now that they've added some pitching with Nate Evaldi there and Jacob DeGrom. And Martin Perez is showing that what he did last year was not a fluke. Uh, I think this Texas Rangers team could be dangerous and could surprise a lot of people. Now, they probably won't win the division. The Houston Astros are probably still the class of that division. But it would not surprise me at all if the Texas Rangers at least make the playoffs. And, by the way, they've got a great manager. they got Bruce Bochy there, a guy who has won World Series, a guy who knows how to, to pull all the right strings. So I think they are going to be a very, very dangerous team this year. 46 minutes past the hour. We're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. A couple of minutes left before we head out of here and I get ready to cut the grass for the first time this season. I'm really, I, 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 you know, got stuff planted in the garden finally. Things are starting to grow down here in western North Carolina. 80 degrees yesterday. I tell you what, I was watching the Red Sox game yesterday afternoon. Uh, it was a one thirty start time, and uh, I'm looking, and everybody's bundled up. It was 40 degrees at Fenway Park. It was 80 degrees here in Hayesville, North Carolina at one thirty yesterday afternoon. I do not miss those cold April days in New England. Don't miss them at all. So uh, very grateful to be going out to cut the grass today. I'll tell you that right now. Um, as I said, I guess if you're the Red Sox, the, uh, the silver lining is we didn't spend $350 million to stink. <laughs> the, the New York Mets, uh, are now below 500. They fall to three and four as they get swept 
by the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, I'm going to say this right. I did, thought the Brewers uh, weren't necessarily going to be very good this year. I thought the Brewers – I thought the Cardinals were the class of that division, um, and, and I thought the Brewers were going to struggle. And uh, Corbin Burns' first two starts for the Brewers, you'd say, yeah, you're right, because Corbin Burns threw his first two starts. He pitched yesterday, gave up seven hits and six runs and four and a third. He's got an ERA almost 10. Um, so I thought the Brewers were going to struggle, but the Brewers have shown they can hit the ball. I mean, Jesus, they beat the Mets on back-to-back days, 9 nothing and 10 nothing. Going into yesterday's game, the Mets had not scored in 20 straight innings. The New York Mets, who are spending $350 million this year, had not scored in 20 straight innings. Well, they scored a run in the first inning yesterday. Problem is, they gave up four in the bottom of the second. Uh, this was a back-and-forth game the entire way. Uh, Milwaukee ends up winning it. Garrett Mitchell, uh, a game-winning home run into the right field seats off of Adam Adovino to give the Brewers a 7-6 win. Uh, Devin Williams picks up the win as he had retired the Mets in the top of the ninth, uh, one, two, three. The Mets have seven hits in this game. Pete Alonso had two of them. They left the ballpark, two two-run home runs. And Francisco Lindor had three hits. So five of the seven hits were from two guys. And the Mets just continue to struggle. And, uh, again, uh, this was in Milwaukee. I'm just – I'm loving this. I would – I cannot wait to see how the Philly fans are going to react to the Philadelphia Phillies starts. Can you imagine how the Mets fans are going to be if, like, they come back from this road trip and, you know, they're like three and seven. Oh, my God. It's just the, the entertainment factor of watching that on television – uh, <laughs> will be incredible. Uh, the Oakland Athletics lose yesterday. There, there's a shock, right? They lose to the Cleveland Guardians 6-4. The Guardians actually scored two runs in the 10th inning to win this thing. Cleveland had a 4-0 lead, and then uh, they let it get away uh, in the bottom of the 8th inning. Uh, the bullpen kind of implodes a little bit, and so it ends up going into extras. And uh, the Guardians win it. Andre Jimenez... Uh, scores on a uh, on a ground out of all things to give them a go ahead uh, run and they end up winning it. Stephen Kwan followed with an RBI single, so they beat the A six four. Right, not that's not exactly uh, uh, great news that uh, or big news that the Guardians win it. I mean, look, Cleveland's off to a great start. They're five and two. Um, Oakland's falls to two and four. But, again, Oakland, one of the teams that spends the least amount of money. Actually, they spend the least amount of money in Major League Baseball. Their, uh, I believe their total salaries for this season are, what, fifty point, uh, $56 million. Okay? $56 million. That's what they're paying for their entire payroll. Let's put that in perspective. Justin Verlander is getting paid almost $40 million himself by the New York Mets. Okay, just that's just putting that in perspective. Okay, but here's the thing: how bad are things in Oakland? On Tuesday, in Tuesday's games, the Oakland Athletics were outdrawn in terms of fans by eleven minor league teams. Think about that for a second. 11 AAA teams had more people at the game than a major league baseball team. That is incredible. 
Tuesday's attendance in Oakland was 3,407 fans. And by the way, have you seen the size of the ballpark they play in? They play in a football stadium. It looked like the place was literally empty. 11 AAA teams beat them in attendance. You know, and here's the thing. It's like Oakland doesn't even care anymore. The owners of the Oakland Athletics don't care. They want out. John Fisher, the owner, wants the team in Las Vegas. And they have done everything they can to make sure that happens. Look, they have been one of those teams that, you know, traditionally has gotten great young players. They keep them for a couple of years. They stay competitive. And then when the contracts are going to be get too much, they trade them off and they try to bring in more young kids. Well, here's the thing. They had guys like, you know, Matt Olson and Sean Murphy, guys that are great players, didn't even try to re-sign them. What'd they do? They just let them walk. Murphy ends up going to uh, uh, Atlanta. And then they make a, a trade to send Matt Olson to Atlanta. And one of the big guys they got back in that trade, young kid Christian Pache, what do they do then? They traded him to the Phillies in March. So they're not even trying to keep good players. You know, and again, if you are Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, and you're looking at this, you're going, Jesus. How can we let this guy own a team? It's embarrassing. Embarrassing. We had a first yesterday, and it will probably be an only. Shohei Otani, of course, who pitches and hits for the Los Angeles Angels, was called for uh, clock violations, pitch clock violations, at on both the mound and at the plate. Uh, he started the game yesterday and went six innings. Allowed just one run, by the way. They uh, beat the Mariners 4-3. Uh, but he was called for a pitch clock violation as a pitcher. And then when he came up, he wasn't ready in the prescribed time and got called for a violation uh, at the plate. That will probably be the first and only time we see that ever in Major League Baseball, considering there is nobody else in Major League Baseball right now who both pitches and hits. (laughs) So, I mean, Shohei getting into the record books uh, in ways he didn't want. Uh, The Milwaukee Bucks wrapped up the number one seed in the playoffs overall uh, with their victory yesterday. And uh, the Western Conference number one seed has been decided as well. Uh, that will be the Denver Nuggets. Uh, the Bucks beat uh, Chicago 105-92 to last night. Milwaukee's 58-22. and Nobody else can get more than 57 wins. The only team that could even do that is the Celtics. The Celtics wrapped up the number two seed in the Eastern Conference yesterday uh, by beating the Toronto Raptors. The Celtics... Uh, very under a man yesterday. They still managed to get the win, but no Jason Tatum, no Marcus Smart, no Al Horford, uh, but a great job by Malcolm Brogdon, 29 points uh, coming off the bench. Jalen Brown with 25 points and 11 rebounds, and uh, they end up winning that thing. Uh, the uh, the Lakers lose to the Clippers yesterday, 125 to 118. So right now the Lakers sitting in seventh place. They are in wild card position uh, in the Western Conference uh, a game out. They are tied with the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans, by the way, also have clinched a playoff spot. Good for them. Uh, Zion Williamson, their their big player, has spent most of his career since being drafted uh, out of Duke, injured, 
But uh, the Pelicans make the playoffs, so that's a good thing for that organization. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Here's some John Prine on the way out, one of my favorites. It's called I Remember Everything. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.